This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, created by our friend Bob Forrest with his friends, Evan, Jared, and the other Bob. Their plan was to create a facility where addicts and alcoholics are treated with compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including the dread SMI, as well as a philosophy that allows them to use their hearts when treating addicts. We've had a bunch of friends of the show and personal friends who have been to Aloe, and they all said the same thing. They were treated really well, and if they had to get help again, they would love to go to Aloe again. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, including sound bath meditation, surfing, equine therapy, and the incredibly spiritual and potentially transformative sweat lodge. If you're fucked and you have nowhere else to go and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get well, I suggest going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. Soberlink's remote recovery technology empowers people in the fight against alcohol addiction. Studies show that monitoring in early recovery can help to improve outcomes. With Soberlink, you can stay connected remotely to family, friends, treatment professionals, and recovery coaches, and whoever else you might want to stay connected to remotely with your Soberlink. The technology is accurate and reliable to help rebuild trust that may have been lost. There is no need to stress about having to convince someone that you are sober because Soberlink will tell them. Soberlink is trusted by over 500 national treatment centers. Over 150,000 clients have used Soberlink since 2011, and over 40 million alcohol monitoring tests have been received. Basically, it's a device that you blow into it, and they transmit your alcohol level to the people you need to stay accountable to. If you use the dopey code, you save 50 bucks on a Soberlink device. This might be for you. Check them out at Soberlink.com. Mention Dopey and save 50 bucks on the first device. This episode is also brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation through Dopey Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast, and it is the most direct way to help me make the show because it makes it possible for the show to be my job, which is what I'm really trying to do. I'm putting out a ton of material every week, Check it out at Patreon. It's obviously coming up on the Podbean, but if you guys support the Patreon, it makes it more likely that I can do this full-time. So again, it's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Kick down whatever you can kick down and enjoy the Patreon. There is also a ton of gear available at dopeypodcast.com. I have just gotten some new snapbacks. I got a black and white, the original snapback. I got the blue and orange, a new blue and red. And I have stickers. And I have Oyve snapbacks. So just hit me up on Gmail. It's dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And enough with the fucking ads. Here is the fucking show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and we are back at my father's apartment with the great Ray Brown. In the kitchen. Someone's in, in the kitchen. In the chicken. Ray, man. <laughs> um, so, Ray, 
Does anyone call you Raymond, considering Ray is a totally fabricated name? I think you call me Raymond. I'm the only one. Everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> yeah. So how does it feel to be and, back? And we're on the uh, the taser gun recorder, like West Virginia. Well, basically, if the Dopey Nation needs to know, my gear, not the gear that they paid for that I haven't bought, but my gear that I've been using since uh, the doctor, the first Dr. Drew episode with Chris uh, doesn't work anymore. R.I.P. So now I'm using the Zoom recorder that Linda got me for Christmas. I want to buy gear. I just don't know what to get. So bear with me, Dopey Nation. I'm going to buy the super cool Joe Rogan microphone and some sort of new interface. I just haven't figured it out yet. You'll figure it out. In breaking Dopey News, the great Ray Brown decided, I know you guys all hate Ray's sponsor like I do. We all hate him and he has to go. Over the weekend, Ray Brown decided he was going to get rid of his sponsor. Last night, he spoke to his sponsor. Ray, did you get rid of your sponsor? No, I did not. Why not? I'm going to think it over for another day. So break it down for the Dopey Nation, Ray. I was going to tell you before the show, I don't want to talk about this. Well, here we are. He's, it's just too extreme. And I was like, okay, this is not for me. And I'm going to get a new sponsor. Well, in terms of extremity, what are we talking about? It's exactly? more about the length of time. It's not like, and you could say like, I need extreme sponsorship because I'm crazy. You're extremely, <laughs> I'm extremely Ill. mentally, <laughs> Ill, yes. But this was just too much. And I talked to a few people, and they were like, "Dude, that is like too far." Why don't you tell the dopey nation something? Well, it's of like the it's like uh, it, it's just a, a period of time of. A sexless period. A sexless period of time of over a year from now going forward. I was on the phone with Ray, and, and Ray was like, you know, Dave, maybe I am addicted to sex and love. Maybe. <laughs> but it, it was, I didn't think that was the thing. Like, that was, he, it was a false bill of goods that he sold you in the first place. But the thing that really got me was the way he wanted you to format the fourth step, that if you didn't write a piece of it, type a piece of it, get a three-hole binder, go right to left like it's Hebrew, yeah. then you're not doing it right. I think that is where it kind of gave me the willies. I, w- I know that's weird, but I was completely okay with that because I'm like, okay, that's the structure, and I, you know, I, I'll take structure. I mean, like somebody wrote on Dopey Nation yesterday, like my sponsor wants me to call them every day at five o'clock and that's really hard and it's unreasonable. And like I've called this guy every single day for eight, nine months at at, six thirty. You need structure, though. You crave structure. Yeah, it was just this like, you know, to go a year, possibly a year and a half without or no, really, it's more like two years going forward. It's already been. Nine months. But in reality, you've had sex during this time. A little bit. But that's sex. And then I told him about it, and he's like, can you cut that out? Did you tell him, and, and forgive me, Dopey Nation, and forgive me, Ray Brown. I told him everything that I've done. So you told him that you 69 to cop yes. on Viagra. Yes, I what told did him he that. Say? He was like, that's amazing. Did he say that? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you giving me another venue to mention it. Um, so he said, that's no, amazing. No, he, he said, can you cut that out? Or, you know, like, to work with me, you're going to need to cut that out. And I'm like, yes. And I'm like, and if I tell someone I'm going to be honest with them, then I feel like I should be honest with them. So at this point, I'm like, I didn't know it was. I told him I didn't know it was going to be this long. But he he said flirting on the Internet is okay. Is there any heavy petting? 
any strokey strokey anything no. legal. No. But but flirting on the internet, he was okay with international flirting. Yeah. He enjoyed your 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 <laughs> your uh, rendezvous with a young Parisian boy. Yes. A la internet. We talk about movies and right music romance. A little bit. Anyway, um, well, Paris is the city of love, <laughs> the city of lights. You know what? Um, you know what show I loved when I was a kid? What? The Love Boat. Oh yeah. And uh, when I, 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 I did not love that, but I remember it. I don't know why I loved it. Well, I, you were probably a good age for it. I was like a teenager. I was like seven. Yeah, that's and, perfect. And, and I would go to my grandmother's house, and we would get in bed, and we'd watch The Love Boat. Oh, the fucking. Here phone. we go. Should I answer it? Yeah, give me the phone. Let me look at it. Let's see who it is. Let's see who it is. Oh, look at my dad's phone. Oh, wow. Let's see. I'm going to answer it for the first time on Dopey. Hello, this is 1986. Hello, hello. You're on the air. We have a caller. You're on the air. I don't know. Nobody's there. Um, They're going to call back, though. That means that was a stupid move. Um... And when I put Susan to bed, I sing TV song themes to her. You sing The Love Boat? And I sing The Love Boat. Do you know The Love Boat theme? The Love Boat, gentle and da 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 do. I don't know. I know The Love Boat part. One day I will sing The Love Boat theme on Dopey. To me, it's The Love Boat and The Island. Love Boat is on from 8 to 9 and Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island. Island. They're the same show. It's the same show. No, it is not because (laughs) Fantasy Island was a little bit scary. And the love boat was not scary. No. Oh. Fantasy Island was a little bit creepy. We didn't get that channel. We only got CBS. So I don't know any of those shows. It was on ABC, and we would watch it. Uh, me and my cousins would watch it. And I was like an old woman, like watching the lo- loving the love boat at age seven. Um, the keto is back in effect. Yes. I don't know if anybody cares or doesn't care. Uh, I gave up the keto. It, it, you know what it, it occurred to me is that keto is like... It's like the ultimate drug addict diet because you get, you know, it's, it's quick. You get instant results. You get results quickly. Yeah. You know, and uh, I blew it over the weekend uh, because me and Linda went out for dinner and she like, and I was going to stick with keto, but Linda was like, you're not going to stick with keto at this restaurant. You're going to eat this chocolate yeah. cake. <laughs> no, we got, a, we got a skillet with cookies in it. It's a blazing hot skillet with two cookies. They just came out of the oven. Yeah, out of the with fire. ice cream and whipped cream, oh and the God. cookies are sizzling. Wow. I don't think Linda ate any of it. It was like the greatest I didn't, thing. I didn't look at your body to see how fat you've become. It was the great... Why? Now you're noticing... I'm like, while well, you're sitting down, it's hard to see. I'm not that fat. When you were parking the car, I couldn't see. Just relax. But, um... So I, I gave it... And then the next day was Valentine's Day, so like I was like, I'm going to eat chocolate. And then the next day was Nora's birthday. I was like, I'm going to eat birthday cake. And then Tuesday, I was like, Fuck it. I'm going to do keto. But the truth is, I hate keto. The truth is, I do it because Linda tells me to do it. I do it because I, I don't want to upset her. Right. Is because Linda on keto now? Linda's on keto, and I don't want her to have to do it by herself. But I'm ready to take a leap of faith as a responsible adult in recovery and just limit portions. And, yeah. and that's what I'm... But I'm going to do a week of keto so I can get some of that hardcore you'll, ketosis. You'll lose it. like, what, 10 pounds maybe? I don't know. Who's, who's to you say? You know, the first time I heard of keto, I was my coworker, and I was like, what is, what is on the keto diet? Is it like guinea pigs and quinoa? And he's like, what? I'm like, is it Q-U-I-T-O? And he's like, no. 
But why would guinea pigs be on it? Because they eat those in Peru. Or um, But what does guinea pigs have to do with keto? I would like the keto diet. It's like the city of keto. Oh. <laughs> that's funny. Is keto Peru or, or Uruguay or Ecuador? I don't, I don't know either thing. I don't know either thing. So today I picked up the new dopey hats and we have a Knicks colorway dopey in honor of the Knicks being good again. Oh, nice. The blue and orange. And then we made a blue and red dopey hat for Hot Wheels. And let's see. I don't These know. are great. These are the blue. This is also if you are a um, uh, U of F Gators fan. What do you think of the blue and I red? I like the blue and red, yeah. So I th- I, these are Gators hats. I told the dude to make it navy and red for the Bears, but he made it more of a Giants blue and red. So we'll see if Brian is okay with it. I'll put pictures up if you guys want them. There's like 12, you know, whatever. Did you hear me? These are Gators hats. These are not. These are Knicks hats <laughs> or Mets hats or Gators hats. It's all the same. Do you like that? Yeah, I Would love... Would you wear a baseball hat? Yeah, I wear that. I love... You con- just want a free hat. I, I love contrasting s- colors. I see you sniffing around. No, I don't... I, I wouldn't wear this. I don't wear baseball hats. No, you don't. And Ray shaved his head. He's got a beautiful shaped head. Um, beautiful shaped head, Ray. And people have been complaining that Dopey doesn't have enough drug stories in it lately. Well, we're not on drugs. And we told all our drug stories. <laughs> And Chris told all his drug stories. Chris told all of his drug stories. I remember, like, at episode 100, he's like, what do we do now? And I was like, like repeat? We, well, no. We, <laughs> we, we repeated a few, but it was more like we keep going, and we get stories, and we talk about what's happening. And we and talk you get about- guests to, like, tell outrageous, scary stories? But our guest today didn't tell any outrageous, scary well, stories. Well, I liked him because it's just like... Some people have problems with drugs, and they don't do anything crazy. He did get arrested a few times. Uh, you know what story really sticks in my head? And I don't know the guy's name. It, it, he was driving pianos and trucks, and they were in like a crack motel in Florida. Dylan. It was just relentless, th- that guy's story. Chris's sponsor's story. That yeah. was the most stuck-in-my-mind harrowing drug story. Like, how did he survive that? I don't remember anything. Like, I, I guess I remember, I remember my own dopey stories, and I remember, like, the stories that I replay of Chris's. And, the, I mean, like, the greatest dopey story that I didn't play back on... Um, well, the, the, the 9-11 story's great. No, but the greatest dopey story was from Australia. It was from a dude named Maurice who, like, had somebody overdose... And he like thought they were dead, so he put them he in put like, him a, outside. He, like put him in a phone booth, but yeah. they turned out he was alive. <laughs> it was like a funny, 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 funny story. Oh, wait, somebody told a story that recently that they they put them out, and then the people came knocking at the door, like, "How'd I get outside?" That's always that's always a, a recipe for a good story. For some reason, whenever I put Susan to bed, I um, I sing a bunch of songs, and sometimes the song takes me back to uh, Los Angeles. And what I really remember about Los Angeles was how excited I was that it was so easy to get heroin and it was cheap. It was easier than New York? Yeah, it was much easier. Really? It was so easy. It was so easy here. No, it's way easy. It's like in New York, I never... there's. You never copped on the street. 
I cop from people I knew yeah. that would be that I would call. You them. never went into abandoned buildings and put money in a bucket. No, I, I was way past you my never, time. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't get to enjoy that aspect of city living. Um, but in Los Angeles, it's it was like 1978 every day uh, in downtown LA. And you go down there and you have money, you get dope. I mean, there's like a hundred. Did they come up to you? Yeah, there's oh. like a hundred dope dealers in the street. Um, and I remember how excited I was that I had discovered that. And, um, and like, sometimes I think about my drug addiction and I remember living in Manhattan that like I made a decision to, uh, become addicted. Like that's the craziest. You, you're like, I've got a little money. I think I'll become addicted to heroin now. It's like, it's like, it's kind of like a diet. Like when you're fighting what you eat, how difficult that is. And like, once I got into doing heroin, like I, I was when me and Todd would do it, and I would fight him, and I'd be like, "No, we can't do it too many days in a row. We're not going to make it." And then I think I got a high-paying job, and I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm just going to do it," because I knew I couldn't tolerate withdrawal, like, oh. I, and I couldn't lie to myself about it. So yeah. I was just like, "I'm just going to do it." Whereas in LA, I think the second I put it in me, I was like, "I'm just going to, I'm going to go with this." Yeah. So that's my, and I think about that when I put Susan to bed. And I really also think about, because my life is so much different. Yeah. Gardening, kids, picket fence. You know, today I got my boss onto ESPN radio. Nice. And it's like, what a great thing. Yeah. Our guest this week is not your classic drug crazy, crazy, crazy thing. No, which I think a lot of people... Like, have that experience. I kind of had that experience of, like, just, like, daily, daily, oh, I have to do this every day. I, you know, I'm not going to jail. My life is not. I'm going to work. But every fucking day I have to do this thing, and I don't like it. And that's the sense you got from his story, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. But before we play his interview, let's talk a little bit about, um, oh, and then motherfuckers are complaining that there's too many ads. Oh, yeah. That's a huge thing now. It's like, dude, listen. Do you want, I mean, it's like, this is a fucking gig, and gigs get paid, and we get paid from companies for mentioning them. I think that guy got the message that you can skip ahead, and I think everybody skips ahead. Listen, if you don't want to fucking listen to the ads, skip ahead. Well, you know what I did yesterday? I listened to the ads for the first time ever. Weren't they amazing? They were funny. I'm really funny. (laughs) I know. It's like, what the fuck? Anyway, here we go. If you like podcasts and you are in recovery and you happen to be a middle-aged man... Or that, anybody. Or anybody who likes middle-aged men, you should check out Recovery in the Middle Ages. It's a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step alt-recovery, the newest in new medical research, and talk about their own daily struggles to maintain their, their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings, if the neighbors only knew. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, and MiddleAgesRecovery.com. That's MiddleAgesRecovery.com. You know what? If you do a podcast, the neighbors might know. The neighbors might find out. Right. Not yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I like if I spend enough time with any neighbors, PTA people, soccer moms, they yep. know everything. Really? Like, I just can't keep it to myself. 
I want to like shock them. Yeah. I want them to know I'm not like them. Right. That I'm different. Yeah, I'm, I'm rock and roll. I'm different. Um, I'm not a suburban dad. I'm not like you guys. <laughs> uh, it's fucked up too. It's like, um, cause I, I, I fuck up often. I often fuck up the relationships in Long Island, uh, by creeping people out, by getting into fights, by like, because it's like, it's hard for me not to like jump in with two feet. I had it on Dopey Nation when I first joined Dopey Nation. I'm like, oh, this is a crazy Facebook group. And I put some rainbow stuff on there. And people were like, what the fuck is this? What did you put on? I can't remember, but people were like, this is just too weird. And I'm like, oh, I crossed the line. But Dopey Nation was shocked by your rainbow shenanigans. By your fake coke doing, money grabbing, you know, DJ alter ego. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but people were like, what the fuck is this? I think you should do a Rainbow Dopey song. That's a good idea. I don't know if Rainbow exists anymore. Well, why don't you just do a Ray Dopey song? Another Ray Dopey song. Oh, that's what a lot of Rainbow was. (laughs) What's up, Bo? Where you at, Bo? (laughs) So, So this week on the show is actor, comedian, Tony Cavallero of the Netflix movie The Dirt. He played Ozzy, HBO's Righteous Gemstones. He's in it. He's been on a lot. He was uh, on the Nickelodeon version of School of Rock in the lead role. Wow. And here he is, Mr. Tony. Were you attracted to Tony Cavallaro? I haven't seen him. I I figured you liked it because you were attracted to him. I've only seen him as Ozzy. That's the only... He was great, too. Yeah, he was funny. And here he is, Tony Cavallaro. Well, you know what, dude? I think since we're on the Dopey podcast, we can count on some things being a little unprofesh. If you know what I really Dude, I, I just like transparency. What I really like are stories. And like if I have a story to tell, I'm gonna tell the story. And I didn't shit on Tank Sinatra or Jamie Lee Curtis. I think they're both amazing guests. Uh awesome to have them around the doposphere, as we like to call it. And oh. that's what sometimes we call it the <laughs> doposphere. And when we're, when we're feeling really comfortable, we call it the doposphere. And I didn't give you a proper introduction, and you're a big-time guest, okay? So just relax. Mm. Dude, you don't see the guests we've been having lately. You were just minding... I like to say right-sized. I'm a right-sized guest, dude. Very nice. I like that. A right-sized guest. His name... He's a big-time... I'm going to say, listen, I, I big it up. Let me big it up for a second, okay? I, I, it's fun for me. Okay, he's a big time, big time actor on a big time show right now, right? Righteous Gemstones is a big, big time show. He played one of the greatest, greatest addicts in one of the greatest bands in a movie about another crazy addict band, which was Ozzy Osbourne in the Dirt. His name is Tony Cavallaro. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's amazing. And he's, and he's broadcasting or podcast. Oh, I need you to do one thing. I want you to hold the phone up to your mouth or the audio is going to be terrible. Oh, you have the... Up here. I've got oh, yeah, yeah, that. Bluetooth joints in. All right, that's not bad. I, I, can, I can live with that. And it's, 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 it's within his nice mane of hair. And, his, <laughs> and I like that he likes to play with the hair. It makes me feel comfortable. He's in the bunker in his Los Angeles mansion that was once owned by Mar- Marlon Brando. And uh, it's, it's beautiful. Welcome to the show. Are you happy to be on the show? Does it feel good? It, it feels great, Dave. Thank you for having, for having me. I, <laughs> a bunker. This actually, it used to be a hay barn, uh, like a hay 
a hayloft and then my my amazing wife turned it into this little uh she calls it her her she shed it's beautiful it's beautiful and their french door is open to i imagine a very warm nice day with birds chirping i can imagine i don't hear them but i i can feel the southern california and you look very comfy cozy which is what really counts and um i heard about you for a while and I just didn't reach out because I, I didn't think to reach out. And then I reached out and you were so happy to come on. So that's a joy for me to have such a, a willing participant who's participant, who's so sober and kind. So I'm going to, I like to schmaltz it up, you know, so you feel nice and schmaltzed up. I, yeah, I'm, I'm smothered in schmaltz right now. And um, what was I going to say? Was the, was the, the dirt thing, the biggest I mean, you were, you were in School of Rock, which was huge. The dirt thing was how I became aware of you. Was that, like, mm-hmm. crazy smash out of the park thing for you and your career? Um, well, it's so funny you said that. So, like, you know, I did School of Rock Band for three seasons, but really it was, like, five years of work, which was great. Um, but I don't know. There can be some times where people can get, like, stuck in the kids' world, which, you know... As addicts and alcoholics, I could, you know, give two shits. As long as I get to work, you know, I'm happy. And um, I just remember, well, let's let's take a step back. So when I first moved to L.A., I uh, was, and we can, we'll jump into this, but uh, I, I was super in my uh, alcoholism and addiction. Um, but I met a really good friend who is still one of my best friends to this day. Um, And when I first moved to LA, I met him in an improv class. And and he was like, you know, you got to fit in here to LA. Dude, here's like, here's the LA Bible. It's, it's the book about Motley Crue. And he gave me the dirt. And this was like 2008, I think. And so that was like the first book I read when I moved to LA and I remember specifically talking about that Ozzy Osbourne story after reading it. And so when I got this fucking audition, I just, um, I'd never played Ozzy. You know, I had watched the Osbournes as a show. Um, but I was just, I had fun putting these self tapes together. So I was just like, all right, like I definitely have experience being wasted. Uh, <laughs> Um, but they said, you know, I remember on the breakdown, they were like, we want Ozzy in the 80s. We don't want Ozzy from MTV. And I was like, well, what is that? So I like looked up, you know, a bunch of interviews with him and just kind of, you know, my wife found a, an old dress that I put on that was obviously very tight on me. Um, and, and she did some, some eyeliner for me. I think I borrowed a bunch of her rings and we kind of workshopped this Ozzy character and, um, I turned it in, man, and didn't hear anything for a few weeks. And then the next thing, you know, I had a director session with Jeff Tremaine, who's like the coolest ever and the other producers. And, and I was going to New York with my in-laws. And so I had to do this director session in a hotel room with like my ass out. I like put my taint up to the computer monitor and I had to do this whole audition as Ozzy in the hotel room right next to my in-laws. And, um, 
And then, dude, just that experience to get to go there, and especially that group of actors that I was working with, like, I mean, they're all, like, classically trained. I mean, aside from uh, Colson, all of those guys, you know, Daniel Weber, Douglas Booth, and and, uh, Ewan Rion, they're all, like, classically trained actors, and I just loved it. They were... They were asking for advice on on the American accent for the crew, and I was asking for advice on Ozzy's accent, and everybody was just so excited to shoot that, you know, kind of um, unbelievable scene that's so memorable out of the book, and uh, it was just really a dream, man. It was so fun, and I was only there for, like, a day. I only shot for, like, eight hours, and, and we got that really super fun scene out of it. I mean, Jeff was able to put together something really really cool and and i had that crazy mullet dude it was it was probably the best scene in the movie my i was never like i was not a motley crew guy as much as i would love nikki six to come on dopey like i wasn't a big motley crew fan or anything however i lived for the vh1 show behind the music and the Motley Crue behind the music is like the best behind the, behind the music ever. And they tell the Ozzy story in the Motley Crue behind the music and the Ozzy Osbourne behind the music. I was very into behind the music as a junkie, oh, just doing drugs yeah. and, and like reliving yeah. their experiences. And that story was that, you know, why don't you tell them that anybody in the Dopey Nation that doesn't know the story, set it up because it's a good Dopey story and it's not even your Dopey story. So... um Ozzy, um, when he was touring, I think in 84, brought the boys, Motley Crue, opened for Ozzy. It was their first big tour. And, you know, they had all kinds of stories about him. But their one in particular was that they were poolside after or before show. And um, they got to kind of in this pissing contest. <laughs> And uh, they were all out of blow, and he was so tripped out of his mind that he snorted a line of ants. I love it. So good. And they then they literally had a pissing contest, and then he started <laughs> licking up urine. His own at first. His own at first, and then Nikki's piss. And then I know there's another story about, like, him smearing shit on walls in a hotel room or something. And I know I definitely heard a story about him taking a piss in some guy's brand new leather seats in their, in his Porsche. Amazing. Um, but I mean, just amazing. The dude, you know, it's yeah. Ozzy. Yeah. He's a legend. I, I was lucky enough to have his son, Jack on dopey and it's one of my favorite dopey stories was Jack was saying that like Ozzy didn't think that Jack was enough of a junkie, you know, and Jack got clean, but that was his big disappointment that you aren't enough of a fuck up, which is classic, but enough about Ozzy and Motley Crue. When did you find out that you were afflicted like the rest of us? When did it, when did you realize it? You know, it's so funny. I was just talking to my dad uh, earlier today and I don't, you know, I had a, you know, I grew up in a fairly normal household, I guess. I don't know. You know, looking back at it after I've, after I've done my step work, I, I kind of t- take that back. There, Obviously, everybody has, you know, stuff going on. And, and I mean, really, dude, it was, um, you know, I got arrested 
I think in 2009. And I just couldn't believe it, man. Cause like I grew up and I did like karate and, and, you know, was a black belt in karate and then did boy scouts and then, you know, excelled at high school sports and then went and played sports in college and kind of like was able to pretty easily. And I think it was probably also, you know, uh, like they say, you know, as alcoholics and addicts, we're high achievers, you know, and I think, you know, I was able to kind of do that stuff pretty easily. And then it was like, I got arrested and I was working as a janitor at the time and, and, and like showing up to do my janitor work and like almost getting fired on a daily basis. And now I've been arrested and I'm living in this, you know, shithole apartment with bed bugs and, you know, I haven't paid the registration on my car. I have no health insurance. And I'm just like, all right, what is the disconnect here? You know? And it was pretty clear. Like, it was like, you know, in the matrix, when you start to see all the, all the lines, the green letters and stuff, when like Neo stops the bullets that I was like, Oh, once drugs and alcohol, you know, specifically cocaine and vodka were introduced into my life. Uh, that trajectory set me very quickly into, uh, you know, alcoholism and, and addiction, which, you know, for me personally, oh, man, I'm so glad I crashed and burned like that. Like I moved to L.A. from Virginia and it was like within a year I was like, Pew! you know. Well, before that, it's interesting because your story is is rich in American history. Like, you grew up in Virginia. Like you said, you were, like, a pretty successful kid. You know, you you were engaged in the world. You liked sports. You loved theater. You loved making people laugh. Um, And and you wound up going to to military school. Mm -hmm. Before you went to military school, had you had a drink? Had you had a line? Had you smoked weed? Like, where did the uh, those things cross paths? So it's so funny. Like, I don't remember any of my junior year in high school. I, I must, I was so stoned for, you know, most of junior and senior year. I remember like, there was a clear delineation where I was like, no drugs, no alcohol, that stuff is bad. And then like that first time, like, I remember the first time I ever got high. Like, remember the first time I ever got drunk. So I went to visit my brother he was three years apart. So I was really lucky. I was a freshman in high school and he was a senior and he was like a cool popular kid. So I went to go visit him in, um, in college. And, um, that was the first time I got drunk. He was a freshman in college. I lost you. Or you had something. No, no, it's my fault. I was getting another call. It's actually one of my sponsees. Nice. Let's do some step work on the phone. So, uh, I, I can't remember, but I think I did like 18 shots of vodka and vomited it up, but that was so bad because I got so sick afterwards. I have no, I had no hangover the next day. So like the first time I drank, it, it was like perfect. Cause I got, you know, I, I puked it all up. So I wasn't hung over the next day. And I was like, this is just great. But then I can't remember if I smoked weed first or not, but. The first time I smoked pot, I smoked uh, hashish. And I just remember um, 
was with some friends and, and I was eating Doritos. And and my big thing was I would get stoned and I I drink chocolate milk and eat Doritos. And I remember I was eating Doritos and I, I got so bummed out. And my friends were like, Why are you so bummed out? And I was like, Man, because I'm all out of Doritos. I ate the whole bag. <laughs> <laughs> And they were laughing at me and laughing at me. And I was like, what's so funny? What is so funny? And they like pointed at my shirt and half the Doritos had not ended up in my mouth. I had like half a bag on my shirt and I was so excited that I still had half a bag of Doritos left. That's hysterical though. That's like the emotional roller coaster of the stoner. First you're sad right. and then you're overjoyed because here's the Doritos. It's like, that's classic. Oh dude. But you know, from, off to the races, like, I mean, it was pretty much off to the races. I just, you know, for me, I think there was a little inkling. Like, high school was fun. I smoked some pot. I drank some beer, you know. Um, I definitely would do it to the excess, to excess, but it wasn't really clicking for me that I even had a problem. But I think subconsciously... At that point in my life, my my alcoholism was telling me, well, you know, if you do a geographic to military school, you know, there are such strict rules there that there's no way you can fuck it up. You were like, I know I'm a fuck up and maybe the structure of military school will stave off my fucked upness for a while, which is a very mature kind of inclination as a kid. Right. Yeah. It's like it's pretty mature of you. And then. Was that true? Like, what it, does military school make it so you? I mean, I, I, you know, I was never near anything that was like military school. Does that make it so you? I imagine there's wild shit going on at military school. Is there or isn't there? So the thing with like going to military school, so you can't drink at all in barracks. You obviously can't do drugs in barracks. So like, for me, it was like as soon as I left, I had a fifth of vodka. And I was snorting some kind of upper and like pills were the big thing. So it was like a binge fast, man. I, you know, again, like I love following rules. You know, that's why I love the program. I just love that it's, it's, you know, keep it simple, stupid. I'm just like, give me rules that I can follow. So like, I love that structure, you know, but the fact is, is like, I'd follow that structure. But as soon as I walked out those those doors for a weekend away from campus, like I was in a blackout, like a blackout until I showed back up, you know? And it was the same with like summer break, Easter break, whatever it was like I was, I was, you know, party on. And then, like I said, since you couldn't drink there or really do drugs there, it was all like this underground pill market. What kind of pills were going on in that, at that place? So, like, my junior and senior year was, like, when they really, like, Oxy started really popping off. But before that, it was those big yellow Percocets, which I never really liked. Uh, But, you know, Adderall, Ritalin, um, what was the Dex... Dex, Dex, Dexedrine? Dexedrine. That's like like a weird, like, diet upper thing. Yeah, yeah. So, like, are you doing well in school? Is there, like... Are there real bad, like, drug addict kids in military school? Like, how well could you hide it? Like, were you achieving at a high level? Did it bring you down? Um, uh, I think, you know, 
uh, it's interesting. Like, I mean, I remember staying up for like four days straight during finals. Like, again, the structure of it really, I got addicted to that structure. So like there was a thing there where if you got over a 3.0, you got a certain amount of days off. Like no matter what, you could skip class, you could do everything, you could leave campus. So if you got over a 3.0, you got like two days off one semester. If you did it again, you'd get three days off the next semester. And anything to get away from barracks was like your job. So for me, I was like, if you can't tell already, I craved, I like to be up. Like I want to be up all the time. So it was like uppers, 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 you know. And then when I left, then I could just be on uppers and drink myself silly, you know. And the thing was, is there, like, I remember, I remember at one point, dude, so like, when I say a sergeant, so my sergeant, and he was a student just like me, they just give you rank while you're there, you earn rank, whatever. And I remember when I was a rat, which is what you call a freshman, our sergeant showed up on a Monday morning to formation, and both of his eyes they were bloodshot red. He had burst every blood vessel in his eyes. So it's like, that was the thing. It was like so bingy. Right. Like people would just go bananas over the weekend. And, um, yeah, dude, it was what a trip to even think about. And yeah, I mean, so if you got, just for example, if you got caught drinking in, in barracks, you were then, confined to barracks for six months you'd have to do what we're called you would get i can't remember what it was something like 60 demerits and if you got 100 you're out you you are suspended at least for a semester so you'd be confined to barracks for six months except to go to church or to classes and to meals um and then you would have to like do either like service projects or you would just have to march with your rifle for I believe it's 60 hours, something crazy like that, if you got busted with alcohol. Now, if that happened twice, boom, you you were out. So I was lucky that never happened to me. I got it should have happened to me once. Well it's <laughs> it's really interesting. Lucky. What's interesting to me also is like as an addict, as an alcoholic, like defiance, fuck this, you know, and it's the opposite. You, you're afflicted with all this stuff. And, and I love what you said, that you crave the rules. And you really excel with structure and rules. But still, it's interesting that an addict or an alcoholic is getting through it. Like, did you, were you ever like, fuck marching? Or were you like, I can pull off the biggest double life in the world kind of thing? That, that was my whole thing. You know, I was, I was able to pull off that that double life. And I mean, it worked, dude, it right. worked for a good long while. Um, but my senior year, man, I, 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 you know, I, I blacked out and almost missed my last lacrosse game of my senior season, uh, in a blackout. I almost missed the bus and had to sit the first half of the last away game of my senior year. And, um, Obviously, I've made amends for all of this stuff, but, you know, it was one of those things, you know, where um, there was a point in time where it all kind of, you know, as it always does, you know, the functioning part of my alcoholism just stopped. And, um, you know, so luckily I graduated from there. Um, I will say that 
Donald Rumsfeld was our graduation speaker, and I was in a in quite the state during that graduation speech. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I graduated from there, and then I was like, I'm moving to California. I'm moving to California. Forgetting the military thing, I'd vacation to California. Uh, the two summers prior, I'd never been, and just fell in love with it. And you know, both of my parents had been. Um, like always the funniest people in the room and, uh, you know, actors and in, in high school and in college. And, and while on my vacations, I was like, I think I want to try and pursue this thing. And so I worked, um, the summer before I moved out and saved up and was like, all right, I'm going to LA and I'm going to stop doing cocaine when I moved to Los Angeles. Cause that's, that's a great idea. When did you start doing the cocaine though? When did it, when did um, the cocaine get on the, on the, on the menu? College. College. And you, and, and there was no military possibility in college. So there is, you can commission as an officer, just like any military school out of there. And I had been thinking about that path for quite a while and then decided, um, that I wanted to, uh, yeah, drop drop that idea and 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 um, go I, pretty much the complete opposite. Right, but, but I think that's that's the coolest thing. I mean, it's like that's like two huge divide. You know, super structure, super regiment, mm-hmm. super accountability, or 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 like self will. You know, rest on my talent. I'm going to earn my thing. I, it's on my own kind of thing. And you were like, yeah. I need to do that. You know, and 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 the funniest thing is what you just said. I'm going to go to L.A. to become an actor so I can get off of coke. Like, (laughs) how does that even like how does that is that is that self-deception? Do you think? Dude, I I was convinced. Like, I remember. Like the drive across the country was a mess. My buddy drove with me and I was like. I had my thing would be half uh, one of those 32 ounce Gatorade bottles. Right. Like this now, Gene, and I would do half with Gatorade and then I do half with vodka and then just sip it all along. And then on that drive across the country, I started vomiting blood Mm. and I was like, oh, okay. see, this is why this is the this is why I'm going to cut back when I get to L.A., you know, and it was like that. And then I was snorting. I was snorting Ritalin like the whole ride out, just like, all right, this is it. When I get there, I'm not going to know anyone that's going to have anything or anything, and it's going to be the straight and narrow till I'm famous. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And and then what? And what happened? Like how how far? How long did it take before somebody was giving you coke? I mean, you could get alcohol everywhere along the way, so it's like you can't. It's like it's a total classic piece of self deception, which is my favorite yeah. phrase I ever learned in rehab is self deception. So self deception, dude. Yeah. So, I mean, I lived with a good buddy. We lived in a, a little tiny studio apartment, like I said, with bed bugs. The liquor store was right across the street. And um, the only person I knew in L.A. besides my roommate, um, well, I mean, I knew a few other people, but, like, I didn't know, like, I, I was going to get a second bachelor's degree in acting. So, like, I kind of knew that community, but I lived, like, in the heart of Hollywood, on Sunset in Normandy in Little Armenia. And um, the only other person I knew was like a band manager that I had gone to high school with 
and she was a, a friend of mine. And obviously that world, like we would go on like the Kuanga strip has like a bunch of bars. And I mean, it was like two weeks before, like I totally had my connect. Right. It's just third street in Koreatown. It was like, you know, any time day or night. And, um, I could go score. And then the liquor store was right across the street. And the best part was my roommate was, uh, the sweetest guy in the world. Thank Oh, I love this man. He took me in and, and, uh, Oh man. Um, he, he, yeah, he, uh, was an, uh, an amazing person and, and, but he worked security at night. And so, um, he would be gone all night. So I could literally be up all night and he'd come in at like 6 a.m. They're like, Hey, whoa, that military schedule. You sure are up early. And I'm like, yep, yeah, got to get ahead of the day. Doing pushups. <laughs> got to go. Got to go. Um, and you, when did you start janitoring? What did you start first? Groundlinging or janitoring? Janitoring. Yeah, so I went, like I said, I, I went to uh, get a second bachelor's degree. And while I was there, I, I did like a little stint, like a little part-time blip at this playhouse in the valley. And, um, and they reached out to me to see if I wanted to uh, clean there four days a week. And I was like, yeah, sure, great. And the pay was good. And I'd work from like 8 to 11 and, you know, uh, four days a week. And I was able to pay off my little studio apartment because it was two guys splitting a studio, sleeping in bunk beds. And, like, I just walked to the dollar store and get hot dogs and expired slim fast. But and why did they yeah. think you wanted the janitor job? Like, why did it occur to them to offer you the janitor job? I... I think it was posed like a little bit as an assistant as well. Like you would do assistant duties as well. But I mean, that, that meant like bringing in coffee in the morning and then go downstairs, vacuum the theater, clean the toilets, you know, kick the homeless person out from, from the overhang that goes down to the uh, dressing rooms in the basement. And uh, for me, it was like perfect, dude. Cause I could like continue to party right into work. Like there were so many times that, <laughs> I would be, you know, passed out or taking a nap and my boss would like open the door on my head and I'd be like, oh, where's my contact? Where's my contact? I can't been looking for my contact. And you're like, oh, I didn't. Sorry, I bonked you on the head. Perfect. And, uh, you know, I remember several times them taking me into their office and being like, hey, so the other guy that cleans the three other days is doing such a better job than you are. But we're afraid what you might do if we let you go. And what would would you say to that? I remember being like, no, Oh, I don't, I'll be, I'll be okay. Like, but I was also like, no, no, I don't think I said that. I think I was like, no, I could do a better job. What do you guys need me to do a better job at? Like, Aren't you supposed to be able to clean well from the military, like, like shine shit and like make things nice and neat and stuff? Um, how bad were you alcoholically at that point? Like, and, 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 and were you participating in the, in the theater? Like, was that a perk? Was, were you using it? No, no, not one single bit, dude. Right. I was completely lost. And I mean, I held that job for five years. I think I was a junior, five or six years. Pretty um, inc- I mean, and again, it's just, you know, it's, it's tough to hold a job 
here in LA. Um, and like I said, it just allowed me to be continually like totally active in my alcoholism. And I was like full blown alcoholic water bottle with vodka under the seat, sips of wine at work during the janitor thing, you know, care of the dog first thing in the morning. Cause I had no accountability at that point. And I was just, I was so, I just didn't even know how to function as a human being. Cause you go from high school to this military school to LA. And it's like, I haven't even been socially trained. Like at this point, I'm just a maniac. Like, I'm just a maniac in the world whose only medicine is alcohol and drugs, you know? And, um, I just could, I didn't know how to talk to people. I don't know. People share about it all the time. Like I always felt that way. I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. Well, you came from the opposite. You, you went from one world to the other. You knew one language and then you were thrust into this world in order to speak another one. And you happened to be an alcoholic. So you drank and used, you know, to feel okay and that doesn't usually work, or maybe it works for a second, and then it doesn't work. You know, it's like, that's that's the deal. Um, it's just amazing to me because, you know, like, having such dreams and such high aspirations, getting the janitor job, which basically ensures that you can drink and use alcoholically while you're there, it's like, because you're not going to bottom, because you're making a decent living, and you can be fucked up you know what i mean you make a mess you clean it up it's your job you know what i mean like it's like you can you can avoid reality pretty easily so do you think that that kind of staved away a bottom like i said man it it did for a little while um but then when i when i hit it i hit you know it was it was pretty great because you know i was court ordered to go to meetings and I just remember going to meetings and I had already been in LA maybe a couple years at that point that like, yeah, I always, I got to have my guard up. What does someone want from me? Nobody wanted anything from me. Like, so to like go to these meetings and have people be like, welcome, call me, you know, whatever. I was like, what is this? I don't have any idea what this is, you know? And like at that point in the game, I was, you know, so messed up mentally like just alcoholically obsessing shaming fear spiraling you know i was coaching a kid in lacrosse and buying all his zanny bars just so i could fucking sleep at night i was like you know just so hard on myself and i think you know for me the only relief i was getting was going to these meetings it was so weird like and it was right down the street from my house. I'd go to this little place called Chandler Lodge in North Hollywood. I'd get my court card signed, and they told me to keep coming back. And, like, you know, I, I did. And it was weird, man. I had no desire to get sober or stay sober. And I had friends telling me, you're not an alcoholic, dude. You don't have – you had one thing, one little thing. Don't worry about it. What Let's was the out. thing? What was the thing? I just got arrested for DUI and nothing. And you didn't, you didn't kill anybody and you lived and in the the car survived. I think an interesting thing, cause I lived in LA for years and, um, and I was, I've never been so lonely 
and I've never been so no nobody gave a shit about me at all. I was and I was a terrible heroin addict and I, I would drag myself to NA meetings like on methadone and nobody wanted to give me their number because I was too much of a mess. So I didn't even have anybody who was like, come with me. But I can imagine being you in L.A., prospects are low. It's the dream isn't coming true, at least in L, at least in in 12 step, at least in AA, someone's like. I want to know who you are. And that's be like, oh my God, like somebody cares. Like somebody wants to show me something like that must have been like a great difference from like the other thing, which is nobody gives a shit. Like, so that's like a real, like the, the attraction of the program. Like you're someone cares. It's nice. Yeah, man. It was, you know, cause I had tried everything else, dude. So the janitor job was right next to the library. So I'd go get, the, the 12 disc CD sets for Deepak Chopra. Wayne, I mean, it's right out of the book, dude. I'd get Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, and then I'd, I'd block out drinking and I'd go to the 6 a.m. mass at the church near my place. And the priest would talk to me and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, and, and I just was searching for it already. You know, I just, I, you know, and I was hesitant, dude. I relapsed, I think I relapsed a year in. Uh, trying to get sober. I got a sponsor, tucked in for like three months, then stopped talking to him. And then I was house sitting at a house that had oxy and morphine and stuff and, and, uh, and was able to uh, reconnect with my sponsor after that. And that was, you know, fuck man, 11 years, over a little over 11 years ago, you know, do you still work with the um, same sponsor? Mm-mm. I okay. switched sponsors like five years ago. When, um, mm-hmm. When, when you came back to him, like when you relapsed in that year and you go back to him, like, were you feeling like off the rails or were you like, this isn't working or like, cause that's when it changes, right? Dude, it's so funny you say that because like, I don't remember those pills even working. Like I remember having a phone call with a friend. And out of the blue, a friend I used to party with, out of the blue, that friend goes, hey, so how's the sober thing going? Which is so weird. And I remember like laughing a little bit. And he's like, what were you laughing? What are you laughing about? And I was like, well, been house sitting, kind of taking some pills. They had some oxys and Percocets and something. And they were like, well, you're not sober, right? You should call your sponsor, huh? And I was like shocked. It was like a total God shot, like they say, because the same person that just kind of came out of the blue that they would even know this terminology. And I, I just remember being so nervous to call my sponsor, but like, I think I called him a couple days later and he was like, let's go get coffee right now. And we went and got coffee and he's like, let's buckle down and do the steps again and, and get you some commitments and let's, you know, let's do this thing. And, uh, you know, uh, that worked for a long time, dude, you know, just going a couple meetings a week, working with that sponsor. Uh, but you know, as, as your life gets bigger, which I was lucky enough that my life got bigger, you know, your program has got to grow just as big as your life or else you're going to be a sitting duck, man. You can't just stop taking your medicine and think you're going to be okay. Dry. Well, it's like having spiritual fitness when, when all these things are, are happening. So you didn't have any success when you were using. Like, you didn't, success didn't hit you until you start. I mean, I, 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 
I like my heart warms when you said like that you craved structure and that's why the program worked for you because it's like you just want to follow directions and then you follow them and it works. I never craved structure in my life. Like I like by the time I got sober, like I was just so desperate that that I yeah. they said the only way that it's going to work is if you follow directions. You know, and I was not a direction follower, but I was, but I was desperate for it to work. So I did it and it, and, and, and good things happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, and like, I never want this show to be like sanctimonious or like anything like that, but it's very important that like, you're a perfect example. You had nothing, you, you didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden structure comes in and you follow directions and, and your life really improves, you know? Yeah, man. I mean... Really night and day stuff, dude. You know, for me, it was like, it's a very clear trajectory of like, you know, drugs and alcohol. And as soon as I stopped, it was like program. You know what I mean? And it was like, I was able to focus energies in a new way. And I don't know, just find the joy again, you know? And um, like... I met my wife two years sober and, you know, I started performing sketch comedy and started working professionally. And like, I mean, none of this stuff would have like, would have been possible, you know, but I have to say like, you know, I did the steps kind of brushed through the steps, you know, the first time I did them, you know, with this new sponsor, again, now I've got a wife, We've got a house, we've got dogs, we've got responsibilities, a career, you know, all this stuff comes along and, uh, you know, brushing through those steps doesn't work as much anymore. I got to call guys, I got to do daily 10 steps, I got to do fear lists, you know, this, and this is how it is for me, you know, it's not that way for everyone, but like, for me, it really is a daily reprieve, you know, so I have to continue to really work the heck out of this thing to be uh, a functional person. Cause you know, like any alcoholic or addict, like I'm either in the dumps or I am friggin' sky high. Everything is amazing. Everything's you know coming. I mean? Everything's coming up, Tony. I, I, I know I get yeah. it, but you, and like when you got in the groundlings, like, did you, did you find like that you were as funny using as you were when you got sober? Did you find like, that that all of a sudden you could channel this comedy power and like and like find your feet sober than in a way that you couldn't or did you not just get out there beforehand i didn't dude i just don't think i did it i don't think i did very much using i'm so lucky you know i don't Maybe my very first show at UCB, which is Upright Citizens Brigade here in L.A., I was wasted. And that was in, like, 2009. But I wasn't funny. Um, You know, and it's interesting because a lot of my friends and family and even my wife are like, I don't want to know what you were like on cocaine and alcohol because you're already – you already are like this. Right, right, sure. And I'm like, I was the weird guy in the corner with the coke that wanted to tell you the the limerick I wrote. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't get, I don't feel like I got funnier. Like, the only funny shit I did when I was wasted is I would jump in the bushes. Like, the dumb (laughs) jackass shit. Right, right, right. But, like, you know, once I got sober, I mean, it was so fun. Like, 
you know, like, and the weird thing about this is like, you know, my idol growing up, because I was a little fat kid, was Chris Farley, you know, whose birthday I think was yesterday or the day before. And I mean, that guy was my hero, man. So like, I don't know. I think about it sometimes that I get to do comedy sober and I'm just so grateful, you know, that I get to play, you know, these characters and then I, and I'm able to draw from these past experiences, like with Ozzy and even with like Keith a little bit. Obviously, Keith was into some weird shit, and they, you know, he he does some weird stuff on the show. But it's uh, it's neat to be able to draw from a sober place on these experiences to kind of create these characters and you know sketches at the groundlings and and, and be able to have like a unique perspective with some of this stuff. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and and I was I was watching a clip from uh, Righteous Gemstones where where the where the satanic crew wants to get you back in and you're you're <laughs> eating ice cream and it's fucking hysterical. Um and like when you're in a scene like that or you're playing a fucking prodigious junkie like do you is there any piece of you that misses it or do you just know that you are actually like you can embody the character because it was you? Um, very rarely do I find myself missing using and drinking. Um, I think it's so programmed into me every once in a while, I will see something or smell something like luckily, just like I said, it's, it's, it's like the simplicity of structure. Like I know that stuff leads to bad shit. Right, right, right. Totally. So if I wanted it to crash and burn, really quickly I would go to that shit because I don't know, dude, like I'm not going to, if I ever go back out, I'm not going to do like I did kick a couple oxys. Like I know that didn't work for me. I'm going to go downtown and find some shit I've never done before and go on a fucking ride and kill myself or somebody else really fast. Like it's not, you know what I mean? So, you know, every once in a while, I can't remember what I was watching. I watched something the other day where I was like, huh, I wonder what pot would be like right now. Right. You know, because pot's so popular and so many people do it. Right. And then all I have to do is remember, like, when I was first trying to get sober, I, I, I did the, the marijuana maintenance program for, like, just a couple months. But I remember, oh, my Lord, the paranoia I had with pot towards the end was just completely debilitating. So that just... No desire, you know, whatsoever. Um, drinking, I don't know, man. I just, yeah, dude, I, I, I just, I wouldn't want to just have a beer no, of or course. a scotch. Like, that just, it doesn't attract me. Like, I never, I cannot remember a single instance in my entire drinking career where I was like, I'm just going to have one drink. Like, Never. The bug out for me, like I had a tiny bit of success when I was young and, um, and like I worked for this company and they, they got new producers and new ownership and whatever. And, and I was invited to the party and I was like a rising person in the company. And I was like, I was total heroin addict. And I remember I got wasted on heroin and it was a party in the lobby of the Chelsea hotel in the Spanish restaurant where I grew up. I grew up right down the street from there and I showed up there the biggest mess that I could be because I thought that's how it was supposed to be done. You know what I mean? Yeah. I imagine that's the way my heroes did it. And I, I, I mean, I think I lasted two months and I was fired. You know, I went to detox and it was done for me. Now, I ha- I've been working in a deli 
for the past 11 years and my life is great and whatever. I make this show. But I imagine if I was like in your situation and I'm rubbing elbows in Hollywood and I'm an up and coming comedic star actor and there's a party and everyone's smoking weed or everybody's drinking that I might feel left out. Like, or I might feel like I'm not, it's fucked up that I don't get, I, 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 listen, I agree with everything you said. And I know that if I took a drink, I'd be fucking through, you know, I'd be, I'd be through, it would be over. If I smoked a joint, I wouldn't survive. But do you ever feel left out from the sort of like success in Hollywood and the hanging out? And I mean, I guess COVID makes it easy. COVID makes it easy for us. COVID makes it easy, but like never do. Okay. Never am I like very rare. Like, it's maybe happened to me, like, once or twice. Uh, I just, oh, man, there's so much on the line now, dude. Sure. You know what I mean? And, I don't know, there's so much on the line, and I'm always like, there. what's going to be the big deal that's going to push me towards... Give me a wanting to one day. And the you know jo- I mean? it's, like, it's so obvious that you, you're the joy that you have in your she shed, you know, walk in your rescues. It's like, fuck that shit. You know what I mean? Like your life is like ridiculously cool looking. You know what I mean? You seem like a well, happy dude, you know? Uh, yeah, for the most part, man. But again, like, dude, this year's been gnarly, man. I have never worked the program harder in my entire sobriety than this last year. Just mentally... My alcoholism is was off the charts, dude. The fear, the shame, uh, just bananas this year, dude. It just dove in head first. You know, I've got a, a men's stag group that I, I work with all. You know, I got even addicted to that. I would, like, get guilty if I wasn't there, like, seven days a week. You know what I mean? But, you know, I've got this men's group that's fantastic. And like I said, you know, we do, like, daily 10 steps, and 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 fearless and that stuff has been revolutionary for me dude and then obviously sponsorship has been you know amazing for me too but you know it's it's uh it's a lot of hard work dude to just uh you know like we said stay right size you get it keep keep the channel open no i get it i love it i think it's great i have two more questions but first before we get any more questions the fucking I didn't. I didn't warn you of this, but the lifeblood of Dopey is the Dopey story. So, could you yes. give us a fucked up story? Ooh, um, yeah. Let's think. What's a good one? Um, uh, <laughs> I guess this is. There was like a period of time where I would go to parties and I would get so shit faced. And I would vomit on a couch and then cover it up with pillows. Nice. <laughs> that is classic. Down. Uh, 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 let me think. Is there another? I'm trying to think if there's a good dopey story. I mean, I kind of gave you that hashish one at the very beginning with the don- with the Doritos, dude. I like that story. Give me a coke. Uh, so, so give me a terrible cocaine story, and I'll leave you alone. Oh, dude. Okay, this is a good one. Um, I can't remember what the combo was, but I just picked up an eight ball and I, we had, we were going to, me and my buddy were going to a club in downtown LA, some rock and roll thing. I don't know what the fuck I was doing. And we smoked an eighth of weed to drive down there. So we were high out of our minds 
And then I was like, perfect. We'll pick ourselves up by doing a bunch of Coke. And we did a bunch of Coke and it was the worst combination ever. But I remember going there and then some friends of ours found out we had Coke and just like, the only thing that's going to solve this right now is to give all the Coke away (laughs) and to let everybody snort all the rest of our Coke because we were both like both of us couldn't even function in the world. We were so high, but so yacked at the same time. Yes. It was just, it was like being locked in your body. I just remember being at the concert. Like I can't, I can't move. Uh, I have so much energy, but I also can't move. (laughs) It was like introspection on Coke. It's like the worst, the worst combination. Did you did you ever did you meet any of those guys the Aussie guys the Motley Crue guys in that in the dirt I know you said you only were on an eight hour shoot but afterwards did anybody was did anybody ever come up to you and was like oh my god you yeah. were so- Nicky and I became buds that's amazing uh, fuck yeah he's super sweet and then I went to a um, uh, why am I blanking who's the lead singer Vince uh, Vince, Vince Neil. Neil. Dude, I went to a Vince Neil concert with Jeff Tremaine and the rest of the cast. Like four months after we shot it, Vince ha- gave us all backstage passes. Amazing. And we got to go to a Vince Neil concert. Amazing. You, th- it's- and he was so sweet, dude. He came up, he was like, hey, man, I think you're so great in the movie. You're so good, man. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good Vince Neil. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Thanks. You could tell, though, that it meant so, like, they were like, Poor Motley Crue gets put through the ringer so hardcore. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they, they like, they like, they, they, they like, what did they do? They like put a contract together telling the world they would never tour again. Like that's the saddest thing I ever heard. And then they were about to tour again and COVID happens. You know, I, I like, I, I've never, like I said, I liked smoking in the boys room, I guess. I was just like, I was too much of a nerd to be a, a Motley Crue person. But you said when you got to LA, that they gave you the dirt as like a guidebook when um, I had met my wife now or my partner now or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and I had stopped doing heroin and, uh, and I had stopped, I had stopped doing everything, but I was still smoking weed. I didn't call it marijuana maintenance. I just said I was not going to stop smoking weed. Um, <laughs> and my wife for Christmas gets me Nikki Six's book, the heroin diaries. And I was I like, I was like, why did you give me this? I wound up relapsing on the heroin diaries, like going to work, reading the heroin diaries, getting off the N train on Prince Street in Manhattan and some methadone dudes are selling Xanax. And I'm just like, all I can hear is Nikki Six's voice in my head. And I, I wound up yeah. relapsing. And then I blamed my wife for giving me the heroin diaries. So, you know, you know how we do, you know, progress, not perfection. What are you going to do? Dave, I'm going to pee, but I can still hear you. I'm going to go pee in the yard. This is exciting. This is the first time. So you can hear me? Yeah, dude. So we can keep talking because I've got you on my Bluetooth. You're going to be the first person who ever urinated on Dopey. Well, dude, let's just say, you know, it kind of all goes with the show. Uh, Because I did, uh, when I was in military school, uh, I was on the phone with my brother pissing on a sidewalk in full uniform and a cop rolled up on me and picked me up, and he said, you want to go to jail or you want to go back to barracks? And I said, uh, I don't know, officer. Uh, I guess go back to barracks. 
So, dude, I went back to barracks knowing that I was going to face that alcohol violation. I was going to get that A1 six months of confinement. And um, and then I showed up, and it was like the nicest, oldest naval officer, and it was his last day on the job. He was retiring the next week. And I went in there to report to get my violation, to get my punishment. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to let this one slide. And he let me go back to my room, and I didn't get I didn't get the punishment at all. Amazing, that's beautiful, and um, I, I love that. I love that. And with fucking uh, with righteous gemstones, you work with John Goodman, who's pretty publicly uh, in recovery. Does he ever hit you with the recovery when you're working, or no? Uh, no, he's just a really sweet, sweet guy, man. We have we have good chats, and he's uh, he, him and his wife Annabeth. They're they're really wonderful people. You can tell. That guy's got some uh, some sweet, you know. He's a soulful, uh, soulful. He's a soulful guy. The only question is, why did he do Blues Brothers two thousand? Why do it? Why why do Blues Brothers two thousand? I I just you don't have to say anything. He's your friend. He's your peer. But it's just (sighs) if I ever can talk to John Goodman, I'm going to ask him. He's not going to like the question. But I'm just I'm I'm curious. I mean, a lot of people think that that was the biggest question of 2020 and it's still unanswered you're a beautiful man tony cavallero <laughs> thank you so much for coming on it was a joy for yeah, me thanks thanks for having me and everybody out there listening there's an easier softer way i promise it'll change your life it's a miracle so look at you proselytizing on dopey what are you pro- what are you proselytizing on dopey for you have a beautiful... No, I, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for coming through. Wasn't Tony Cavallaro amazing? That was awesome. I like him. I, we did... The thing is that I've been doing the Zoom-phone combination. Yeah, So I it stared works. at his dreaminess, and he, he was rubbing his hair a bunch, and then he went to urinate, and then he rubbed his hair again. Oh, and then he shook your hand. No, he was on Zoom. <laughs> but it was... Uh, I, I enjoyed it. He lives in a beautiful fucking spot. Like his house. Is Do you think fucking the amazing. level he's at, he's like making big money, bigger money than you? Yeah. Well, anybody. I don't know if he's at the dopey five ads at the beginning of the show. Right. Money. But that's the thing. When you live in L.A., like you're making a lot of money, but the houses are all a million dollars. I think he does okay. His house is spectacular. Where does he live? What neighborhood? I don't know. But don't. he he lives in the house. Oh, you. Oh, he talks about it. He lives in the house that Marlon Brando owned. Oh with yeah. Wally Cox. And there was like a guest house or something. But he would no. That was his little his wife's shed. shed. Yeah, but it was it's beautiful. I'll show you a picture. Okay. It's, it is beautiful. I love L.A. You do? Yeah, I love it. I could live there. Well, why didn't you ever move to L.A.? I don't know. I'm stuck in this rent controlled apartment. Interesting. Well, you know, I was talking to Sam, and he was saying that you should you should be riding the back of the Dopey Nation on the Ray Brown World Tour. He thinks it could work. I said, Sam, no one's gonna come. He's gonna get ten people in fucking Iowa, and then what? What no, happens after you, that? You and I are going to Dublin, then London, and we're going to do press and promote Dopey. Then we're going to, where is that, Montenegro? Wait, Montenegro. Uh, Bosnia. Where is Dopey the number one podcast? Honduras? In El Salvador. El Salvador and Slovenia. We're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. We're <laughs> then staying. we're getting on a plane and we're going to India. Then we're going to Australia and we're going to do press there. We're going to go up and down. The West Coast, I mean the East Coast, Brisbane down to Swing Sydney. through New Zealand. Then we're going to stop in the little town in New Zealand. And then we're going to go to Hawaii. 
You know who wants to see us in Hawaii is not your weird, whatever it is. Um, what Kratom. You, Kratom. Kratom farming, drumming, new boyfriend in Hawaii. <laughs> but there's a dopey like dude in Hawaii named Pete who was super pissed that I didn't mention him. And he was aghast that you went to the hospital 20 times last year. So we have at least three listeners in Hawaii. Dude, why don't you tell Pete why you were in the hospital 20 times? Uh, I went to the hospital a bunch of times. First, I go to the hospital to get checked for skin cancer, and then they remove some skin cancer, and then I went to the hospital twice for my knee or three times for my knee. So three times for my knee and like eight times for skin cancer. So nothing serious. Did I explain? Uh, first of all, do you know that Dominican people... Dominican men in New York, when they talk to each other, they call each other manin, but it sounds like my knee. <laughs> so like, what does it mean? Manin, it's like brother. It's yeah, like okay. a shortening of Hermano. Yeah, it's like cuisine. So they're like, que lo que, my knee, which means what's, what's up, yeah. my knee. What's up, my friend, whatever. I've never heard that. So, well, you don't hang out with a lot of Dominicans in the city. So today I had to go get the dopey hats. And I went to the fucking serious projects. I know where you were. That's, well, the project is serious. The street is not. No, but that project was serious. And it's like, I haven't been into the serious projects in a long time. Because I picked up the dopey hats last time. So I went to the same place. From Fridge. And, and I was like, I used to buy heroin in this building. I'm sure I could have bought heroin in that building today. And I, and I saw a ton of Methadonians kind of walking by. Oh. I saw a couple junkies driving up here. I think the city, when it's filtered out of rich people, the Methadonians and the junkies are really standing out. Oh, yeah. You, that's in my neighborhood, too. There was like, oh, the crazy people that were always here are now really obvious. And how about we, when we went to, to B&H that time... We just saw like All a those, line yeah. of people waiting to buy. All them. those heroin dealers, and then I Googled it, and that is true. I sensed it. My spider sense. You, you were like, these I, guys are all selling dope. I, no, I, no, they were waiting to buy it. I was like, my, I was like, I sense, I sense heroin. <laughs> I smell heroin. <laughs> it was, but it, it was true, right? That's yeah, amazing. I Googled it, and then Bo works over by there. And he's like, yeah, everyone in my office is like, there's so much drugs downstairs. So you know what I think is fucked up about what? dopey? What that I feel guilty when. People say it's not enough drug stories, right? I feel guilty. But in reality, it's like like you said, when you get away from using, you're going to get away from stories. Not only that, like I feel guilty for saying that sobriety is good because it doesn't seem as cool as the drug stories. But the fact of the matter is that I wouldn't have done recovery. Like I don't think... I think spirituality is cool, blah, blah, blah. I think it is cool. But I think... It, it, it works at making my life better. That's the amazing thing. If drugs worked at making my life better, I'd take that. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, that, that's the idea. <laughs> if, it, if it worked right. the way not using and, right. and being spiritual and working a program, I would be like, do drugs. But it fucking, it didn't, I didn't have a good life. Well, but that's the thing, like with, with crystal meth, it does work. It really improves your life for a while. Not that long of a while. Right. How long of a while? Like, well, it seems like it improves your life. You're like, I'm so productive. I used to do crystal meth before I went to my nine to five straight office job. How long did it work that it made your life better? Maybe a year. But how often did you do it? Every day. So you're saying that you used crystal meth like a responsible adult and it made your life better. I wasn't responsible, but... 
Do you, okay, why don't you? I went why, to work and paint did us my, a picture when when crystal meth made your life better, right? Um, it just didn't destroy it for a long time. Well, when I was here, by the end, I'm hearing voices in my head. There's people looking under my door, people looking in my skylights, and my phone is tapped. So you're saying you had a good year of it? Yeah, <laughs> I gotcha. Um, and I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. You know, when I reflect back on Dopey and I think about the way the show has changed, I, uh, I remember in the beginning, a lot of people were attracted to how much I would tear down AA meetings. Oh, yeah? Because, like, I just thought it was funny to tear down I've AA never heard. I've never heard you do that. And um, I went to a meeting on Sunday, and um, it was just some funny shit that I hadn't heard this kind of shit in a long time. Where it, it, was, it was Valentine's Day. And he's basically, the whole day was like uh, everyone's sharing about love yeah. and whatever. And the guy says, he's like, We've re- I recently recommitted to my oh, wife. Oh, God. And, and part of my program is now being in a marriage group where we help other couples recommit to their marriage. Oh. And it's a real big part of the program. Then this dude, I'm standing with this, like, you know, kind of classic fucko Long Island contractor guy, and this the ultimate classic Long Island fucko guy who has a big cigar in his mouth at every meeting. He walks up and he goes, he goes, I've been trying to get rid of my wife for six months. <laughs> Just like maybe he said longer. Maybe he said, I've been trying to get rid of my wife forever. But <laughs> it was pretty pretty classic. Um, and I, I mean, like, dude, again, I would not. Talk about the program if it didn't work. I would not go into it if it didn't make my life better. Do you feel like, because you've been fucking calling this dude every day at 6.30. Yep. You've been pretty hardcore working your program. Yeah, I mean, the stuff we've done is, like, not wasted. It's all still it's all still there. And Do you feel like you're, you have benefited from the work at all? Totally. How? Um, well, this is a good example. Um, I came upstairs, and my new neighbor's have a bicycle in the hallway. And I'm like, fuck this shit. How dare they put a bicycle in the landing that we share? There should be nothing here. And then I thought, like, I don't care. I was so mad at them. And then I was like, what do I care? There's plenty of room. They let them have a bicycle. I'm like, I do this with a lot of things, like get upset about things that have no bearing in my life. Well, the most amazing thing is that you wouldn't know that about you. You don't tell people you're petty, terrible. I was going to steal their bike. I'm like, I'm going to make the tires go flat. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to put it inside my apartment and then fuck them. But you never, listen, I, I love that you have terrible thoughts and you have horrible fucking malevolent Yeah, and my, my sponsor said, your spiritual advisor arrived, arrived by bicycle. <laughs> your sponsor, so I think your sponsor's got to go. <laughs> the best thing is that his sponsor has a little crony sponsee. Um, I'm not allowed to say his name. No, oh, no. His, he's named after a traditional no, Jewish no, food. No, you can't say that. And I just like am, I have shtick all day with that shit. <laughs> That's right. His name is Matzah Ball Soup. <laughs> um, so my uh, one of the the joys of my life is uh, I love my children, even though they're incredibly frustrating. And uh, and Susan is like the biggest trip in the world, you know? She's gigantic. She's like a fucking ape. She's like... She's grown since I last saw her? She's got a gigantic belly. 
And she she weighs like fifty pounds. How much is a two year old supposed to weigh? I don't know, but she wears clothes designed for five year olds. Really? Yeah, she has like I don't og- know anything about kids. She has like ogre blood or something. I just know a friend of mine had a baby, and she was a musician, and she's like, "Well, I guess I'll make music again in eleven years." Yeah, they don't like it when I play music at all. Oh, really? And she can't pronounce uh, the word she guitar. Me- she meant like gigs. Like she was like, "Well, no, I'm not allowed to play at home." You know, you have a big house. She she pulls the string of my sweatshirt and she goes, "Daddy, I'm play electric guitar." And I say, "No, it's guitar." And she said, "Yes, guitar." And I said, "Is it guitar?" And she says, "I want to play electric guitar." And I just think it's the cutest. Do thing. Do they like like Does Nora like your music, like the band and no. the dead? Uh, sometimes. Me and Nora have been jamming. Have I ever played the Nora jam? Is she on drums? Yeah. Oh, no, I haven't heard it. I'll, I'll play it for you. And I got a wah-wah pedal. I'm, like, rocking out Whoa. in the basement. But um, one of my favorite things is that um, fucking... Um, and somebody complained that I say fucking too much, too. You say it a lot. That's why I said it so many times in the Dopey Con 2 song. I don't say fuck that often. You I did it because of the show. I do it to grease the wheels of my brain. I say, fucking, it gives me time to think. So Susan, when she goes to nap, when she goes to nap and she goes to bed, she likes me to put her to sleep, which, you know, is a burden, but I love it because it's like she likes me more. And it takes a long time. I'm her favorite. It takes forever. It's hell. You know, putting her to bed is hell. I sing The Love Boat. I sing uh, John the Rabbit. I sing uh, that dead song, um... What's we call it? We bid you good night. I sing uh, "Sexy Sadie." Is I that sing... a thing that you put a kid in a bed and then you sit there and talk and sing songs for a long? Is that normal? No, I have her in my lap and I oh. rock her in a rocking chair until she falls asleep. But I thought parents just put the kid in bed and like turn the lights out and walked out. Bad parents do that. Oh no, I don't know. I don't know how I got horn snaggled into this thing. She's a giant on top of me. I'm trying <laughs> to figure out how to deal with her. But so she, um, you know. I always like, I always like say to her, maybe mommy should put you to bed, and she goes, no, daddy, do it, and I just like her to say that yeah. and make Linda feel bad, you know, <laughs> say it louder. Yeah. She goes, daddy, do it, and then we're like changing, we're putting her into her pajamas, and she starts pounding against the wall. I go, Susan, you got to stop pounding the wall. She starts pounding it harder. I go, Susan, stop pounding the wall, and she starts crying, screaming, and Linda goes, I've, I've seen all that, and Linda goes, do you want mommy to put you to bed? <laughs> and I was like, shh. And she goes, she goes, mommy, do it. And I said, no, daddy, daddy's doing it. You know, oh, this mean? kid like, is learning early. They all learn that. So I wound up putting her to bed and she goes, daddy yelled at me. She goes, daddy, dad, I, I pound the wall. And that happened the other day. She's beating a, a plate with her spoon. And I went, stop it. And she starts screaming and crying. And, and still I put her to bed. Dinners are very traumatic at your house. You think so? Yes. Why? <laughs> it's a lot going on. Oh my god, and and uh, and I think Nora hates her. Remember Thanksgiving here? Wow, <laughs> that was another story. Yeah, it's not easy. Well, that's hard if you're to have like that's a big age difference, and all this attention is going to Susan. Would you like to hear? A, yeah, I, I think it's very hard, but Nora gets so much attention; it's ridiculous. I got um, an email from this woman in New Zealand. Yeah. This is the oh. the woman who criticized me for using the term out of pocket wrong. I don't know if that if you heard that story. I don't even know what out of pocket means. It means a lot of different things. Oh, out of pocket means I'm going to pay it myself rather than the company. Right. But there's another phrase for out of pocket, which means 
I can't get a hold of him. He's out of pocket. Oh. It's a, it's a gangster phrase. Never heard that. Um, anyway, so this is a, a woman named Kim. She writes, Kia Ora, Dave, which is some New Zealand Kiwi greeting. Yeah. And she says, I am sending you this all the way from New Zealand because obviously I hope you can use it. But I realize I might need to try again. I was nervous, and there's a lot of umming and eyeing and a bit of rambling, so I could have put in more funny details. Plus, it's six minutes. But could you listen to it and please tell me if you want me to try again? I do feel there is a good dopey story in there somewhere. Just listen to Freeway Ricky Ross on Patreon Patreon, and really fucking loved it. You're a great interviewer, and he is an awesome subject. She's one of the few people that liked the Freeway Ricky Ross interview. I liked it. I know you liked it. I think he was like, you know, like, he, I don't think he was actually washing dishes. I think he was like building a machine or bagging up weed or maybe like making shattered or something. He's doing <laughs> he fucking. He was yelling at his kids, too. No, but there's some like weird banging and shit. Yeah, Dopey Nation, if you didn't know, the, the world's biggest freebase crack dealer, Ricky Ross, was on Dopey, but I put it on Patreon. Good. So, so listen to it on Patreon at uh, www.patreon.com slash Dopey Podcast. Anyway, this is us. This is one of your fans from New Zealand. I left a voicemail a while ago, which you played on the show, which made me really happy. Um, I asked you not to use my name, and you used my name, which made me laugh, and was fair enough because there wasn't anything very um, incriminating in the voicemail. I was just complaining about your... um, I want to say grammar, but it wasn't grammar. But anyway, <laughs> it was really funny. Um, I just listened to the Patreon episode with um, Freeway Ricky Ross. That was beautiful. What a beautiful man. Um, he was so, I don't know, kind of pragmatic and honest. And, um, you know, I just thought he had kind of a sane perspective, which is sort of funny for, yeah. I don't know, just a big person. Um, anyway, blah, blah, blah. I was calling up because I wanted to tell you a dopey story, and I'm afraid um, of you identifying me um, because I don't want my reputation with um, the medical system to be jeopardized. <laughs> but I just wanted to tell you the story about um, about uh, conning doctors. Um, so it started out... Me and my boyfriend at the time were in London and we then, and we got all kinds of dodgy drugs in London. We got dihydrocodeine because my ex punched my head and broke his hand and they prescribed him a bit of dihydrocodeine, and then we were in a room with an orderly who went to the same clubs that we were going to, same underground clubs in South London, and he um, he was kind of a cool guy, and he just randomly gave us like six boxes of dihydrocodeine um, for no particular reason and without a script <laughs> that were just in a cupboard unsupervised. So that was kind of funny. Then we uh, moved to Thailand. And in Thailand, um, my boyfriend decided we should try to get some Ritalin. It's quite dangerous taking drugs in Thailand. The police are absolutely so corrupt and mad. And so we wanted to be safe. And so 
we thought we'd con some doctors. So um, we forged a letter from uh, Lambeth Hospital in London, which was a hospital that we'd both been to. And we, um, I scanned an image off the internet and made some fake letterhead. And it was like a, a doctor's letter saying um, that I had a script for Ritalin because I had narcolepsy, supposedly. And, um, yeah, and I went to this hospital um, in Bangkok and spoke to this lovely lady doctor. I was all dressed up in my best school teacher dress. I was teaching English in Bangkok, and I scrubbed up and turned up there and told this lady this um, crazy story about how I needed these drugs to stay awake and how I and, and I acted like really surprised that the drugs were so difficult to get because it had never occurred to me that people might abuse them. And she gave me this huge script for Ritalin. And I kept renewing it for, you know, a couple of years and we partied on Ritalin and we sold Ritalin. And um, then we left Bangkok and went back to New Zealand. And in New Zealand, um, my boyfriend decided we should try to get um, dexamphetamine because it would be more fun to party on than Ritalin. And so um, <laughs> we... We showed the doctors my script, or I showed the doctor my script from Thailand, and which had said that I had a sleep study in Bangkok. And they were a little more wary <laughs> in New Zealand, and they said, "Well, they wanted to do a sleep study to see, you know, to check out my narcolepsy." And sleep study is when you go into hospital and you have to stay overnight, and they wire you up, and um, they they check out, I think you stay in for 24 hours, and, and they check out how sleepy you are, and so I went in there, and I took this drug with me, some kind of sleepiness thing, um, which I can't really remember the name of, I want to say dihydramine, but it might be wrong, and um, <laughs> I managed to give the nurse a urine sample, then pop one of these pills, and then get into bed. <laughs> and so that sleep study came back that, yep, sure enough, I was experiencing severe sleepiness. And so they diagnosed me with um, idiopathic hypersomnolence, which means you're fucking sleepy and they don't know why. And um, yeah, and then I had, to, I had to convince the doctor that I didn't want Ritalin, but I wanted dexamphetamine. Um, which I believe I did by saying that I had found that the Ritalin made me too anxious and um, yeah and I yeah it's just really good at sort of acting like a non-drug addict um, and they gave me the script for dexamphetamine and um, it lasted for years and that's my dopey story I don't know if you can use it I feel like it might be boring but um Really, I'm just calling because I love your show and, um, yeah, I love what you do. Okay, thanks. I don't think I was supposed to use her name. Did you say her name? Yeah, I did at the front. Of this today? Yes. I didn't know you could get high on Ritalin. Oh, yeah, I used to get high on Ritalin. Really? At purchase. Uh, I used to get high on Ritalin and, and, and smoke a ton of weed. It was like, it was like the stoner's speedball where we would snort Ritalin and smoke a ton of weed. And then I, I, we used to do that, and I'd do it to write papers. And um, my roommate, there's a guy named Zev, 
who was a jazz studies major. I always thought that was really cool. So he'd always be playing Miles Davis in our oh. room, and I would be writing. Wait, playing the records or playing? Playing the records. Yeah. And I would be writing and, and, and on Ritalin, and I felt like You're I typing was like, really fast. Yeah, I felt like I was Jack Kerouac yeah. or something on Ritalin. <laughs> um, and then me and Zev started selling acid out of that room. And we would trip like constantly, and I would play Sim City. You ever play Sim City? I've, I know the game. Yeah. So you just leave it on, and you're tripping, and you're developing a world. But yeah, that was, I mean, that was my. I would take Ritalin and do as. I play like Sim City. Every time she and her boyfriend made a decision, it was like they made a business decision. Well, this lady is very measured. She had a plan. Right. She had an international I have a plan. plan. My favorite thing about the the voicemail is how how possible it is to fuck with shit. Like, you can forge a thing, add an image, and all of a sudden you're rolling if in what you If you're dressed want. right and look good. Well, in the old days, you could really get anything you oh, wanted. Oh, doctor, um, my doctor back in the country I come from says that I need Dilaudid. And I don't have a prescription, but I'm just wondering. You know, they didn't ever... Ch- well, they did do the sleep study. It, what it was, was it was, it was before... Somehow, I mean, it just shows you the nature of drugs and popular culture and, and drugs. And she had a prescription for speed that she used for years with apparently no ill effects because she didn't describe them. Well, I mean, think of all the, the people who do Adderall or think about your year on uh, crystal yeah, meth. Yeah. Did Adderall replace Ritalin? Yeah. It's the same thing. Well, it's a better version. I, I don't know the, you know the chemical makeup, but uh, basically it's the same thing. Uh, and designed to, you know, help ADD people to pay attention. And, you know, I, I really believe that if I was on Adderall, Dopey would be bigger than uh, Joe Rogan. If you were currently on Adderall. Yes. I think it's the missing piece in the Dopey empire. I, I wonder often, because when I was a young teenager, that's when Ritalin came in, and I remember, like, friend, friend, not friends of mine, but guys in my class were suddenly on Ritalin, and I probably should have been on Ritalin or something because I could not pay attention to anything. And I was like, what would my life be if I had been prescribed that and then had like just gone through school and college? And Right? I, I honestly think I'd be like a doctor or like... I, I think that my career would have taken off if I, if I had just gotten... I mean, my mother would tell me, you know, and I, I resented her for this, but when I was in high school, she would say, you're learning disabled, you have attention des- <laughs> so deficit that word, disorder. So that term was in effect because... I don't think it was in effect when I was that age. No, but it was not. It was stigmatized when I was a kid. Oh. So when she said, you have a learning disability, what I heard was, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah. Which is what she meant. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know, Ray. Did you have fun? Was this amazing for you? Yeah, and I I had a quesadilla, and you did not. Well, I'm fucking keto crazy, baby. Yeah. You know what I had for my keto? What? I had pastrami. Wait. Delicious pastrami. Turkey mustard, sour pickles, and nothing for breakfast. Coffee for breakfast. You get everything for free at Katz's? Everything for free. Nice. Um, and I walked in. I'm going to Katz's, right? And I had to take a piss. And I didn't want to go into Katz's because I figured I'd have to say hello to everybody. Yeah. And I wanted to go get a haircut. So I go into this coffee, this fancy coffee place by Katz's, and I just have to take a piss, and the, there's, like, people at the counter or whatever, whatever. Everything by cats is just fancy now. So I walk to the bathroom, and I urinate, and the lady starts banging on the door, and she goes, the bathroom. And I said, listen, I'm going to buy a coffee. She goes, it's not even for customers. 
<laughs> it's, it, and she's like, thanks for asking, though. And I was like... This. Well, then why is it accessible to the public well, area? So then I'm thinking, I'm going to go... I'm not going to buy the fucking coffee. Fuck this woman. I'm going to curse her out. And I'm like, no, I want to be, like, programmy. Right. So I'm going to apologize because I didn't say hello. Can I use the bathroom? Right. Whatever. And I come out and I apologize. And they're bitches. They don't, they don't say it's okay. Because I guess it wasn't okay. Yeah. They don't. I said I didn't. But know. did you go like through the kitchen or something? No. You go behind the counter. No. There's a. You walk into the store. There's a. You know the counter, and then there's a room you sit in and drink coffee that has a bathroom in it. And I always used to do well, that. Well, if that's not for the public, it should be locked, and they should have a key that they can use it. Right. And I didn't say that. I was just nice. But then when she was nasty, I didn't give her the tip on the two seventy five coffee. Good. I didn't tip her. I feel guilty about it to this minute. And then I went to go see Igor to get my hair cu- cut, yeah. but Igor wasn't there. His son David was there, and I'm not trusting David with I this. I was going to say, it doesn't look like you got a haircut. So I trimmed the beard. Do you want me to cut your hair? No way. I trimmed <laughs> the beard, and I did the edges. But um, I wish I had seen Igor. Igor just makes me so happy. And then um, I had my day at Katz's, and now here we are. Uh, finishing up another high-octane episode of The Dopey Show. So first of all, before we go, I want to say nobody sent in a fucking story for Brainwash Yeah, coffee. who's going to get the coffee if you don't send in stories? I guess we can send it to... No, I'm not sending it to New Zealand. That's too much money. Sam supposed that the reason that nobody entered the ad is because they didn't think I would give the prize. Because you have a history of not giving the prize. Because I'm notorious for And not- somebody else said they ordered something and like in... A while back, and they haven't got it. I don't know if it was from SRO. It was from SRO. They got it. The guy's got a big mouth. So first of all, <laughs> keep your mouth shut if you don't have something nice to say. Secondly, leave a nice review on iTunes and, so my dad And I'm going to pick a winner. Somebody's going to get some coffee. Send in a brainwashed coffee story, three minutes. Um, you can win a pound of brainwashed coffee. I promise you, I swear to the, the, the God of my understanding that I will send you the pound of coffee. We have three pounds to give away. If he doesn't send it, I'll send it. You're not, that's a lie. I'll go See, to the, that, I'll go to the post constitutionally office. constitutionally incapable of being honest. I'll come he out to fucking, Long Island. He has, who do you have? He has, who, he has Rush Limbaugh on his fourth step. That's how, <laughs> that's how horrible he is at working the steps. He resents Rush Limbaugh because Rush Limbaugh turned his parents into more conservative rednecks than they were already. My parents were like, my parents are not rednecks. Please, you come from a line of rednecks. I came home Northern Florida. I came home. Eating tumbleweeds and riding tractors (laughs) without shoes. Well, my ancestors were in Florida before it was part of the United States. But I came home for Christmas one year and my parents were like crazy Rush Limbaugh right wing people that they never my parents were never political at all didn't I, you grow up on an alligator wrestling ranch didn't you have a pond full of alligators I had and a your pond big brother would wrestle them I, and put them to sleep i by would rubbing wrestle the, them. by rubbing their bellies. i don't have a big brother no i wrestled them well there it is yeah, i grew up on a, a pond filled with alligators when i came home from school there'd be a bunch of alligators in my backyard it's true isn't it's it true is it true <laughs> yes it's true but not rednecks everything else is true no we were like on a country club so you were like the genteel people who hired the rednecks to wrestle alligators no, for you? No, I wrestled the alligator. Did you really wrestle yes. an alligator? Yes. Do you have any pictures of you alligator wrestling? You know, I wish we did. I have a picture of the alligator we caught in the backyard. It was 12 feet long. I cannot wait to see it. Okay, I'll send it to you this afternoon. All right. Ray, would you like to take us out? Or would you like to add anything else before we go? I have nothing to add. 
They, oh, send in the voicemail. People write to me and they're like, "I have a really funny voicemail. I'm going to I'm going to send it in." I'm like, and they tell me this. They're story. liars and cowards. They tell me, and I'm like, "You've got to send that in. That's perfect." And they don't send in a voicemail. Keep it short. Keep it dopey. Win pounds of coffee. And also, if you send something in, and I forgot about it, remind me because I have fucking problems. So just remind me, please. Okay. I like to hear from you guys. Ray, would you like to? Take us out. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you, Ray. I'll just have to walk around my